Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the book of Exodus chapter 12, and we'll begin in a moment in verse 31. Exodus 12, verse 31. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was imprisoned, and eventually he was executed because of his opposition to the Nazis during the Second World War. Weeks before he died, he wrote a letter, and in that letter he said, the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. That is certainly true when it comes to physical freedom. If you don't believe that, ask any of the men or women in the prisons where we minister every single week. That's true when it comes to freedom in the physical sense, but that is especially true when it comes to spiritual freedom. The Bible repeatedly refers to man as existing in a state of slavery. The Bible speaks of man as being a slave to sin, a slave to his own flesh, a slave to corruption. But when a man or woman acknowledges their condition before God, when they cry out to God for mercy, placing their faith in Christ, Jesus comes along, he opens the door and sets them free. John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. And this freedom is the longing of every human heart, but how few there are who ever experience it. Well, in our scripture this morning, we come to the Exodus. The Exodus is the great act of God whereby he suddenly miraculously delivered millions of people from slavery in Egypt. And last week we saw just about how God did it, how God went about bringing this about. God told the people to sacrifice a lamb, not just any lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish. It had to be perfect. Not only were they to sacrifice it, they were to take the blood of that lamb and apply it by painting it to the doorposts and the lintel of their homes. And that was a symbol of their faith. That night, God visited Egypt to judge every home. When he saw a home was covered by the blood, the Bible says his judgment passed over them. But when there was no blood, God's judgment fell, and the firstborn in that home died. We also saw how this is a picture of the gospel. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was the perfect, sinless lamb of God. His blood was shed on the cross. Likewise, that blood must be applied to the doorpost of our hearts by faith. If we stand before God and are covered by that blood, the Bible says his judgment passes over us. So this morning, we come to verse 31, and we're going to see what happens next. What happens after God sets his people free? Having been set free, how are we to respond? What are we to do? And there are a few things about what happened immediately thereafter that I want to talk to you about this morning, and a few things that I want to encourage you to do, first of all, is this. Remember God's 
faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. In chapter 12, verse 31, it says this. Then he, meaning Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. The last time Pharaoh saw Moses, he threatened him. He said, if I ever see your face again, you are a dead man. But notice, the tenth plague has happened. Pharaoh is the one who calls Moses. He brings him in, and he didn't even wait until sunrise. He told them to go. He didn't just allow Israel to go. He commanded Israel to go. And I want you to notice that everything that Pharaoh gave up, he could have given up sooner and avoided all of that pain and all of that destruction that came upon the land. You think about Pharaoh for all of his hardness of heart, for all of the time that he spent resisting God and fighting against God, for all of the times that he initially said yes only to not follow through, for all of that, Pharaoh gained nothing. Pharaoh gained nothing. In the end, he gave in to every single one of God's terms, and how much better off would he have been by submitting to God in the first place? And of course, there's a valuable lesson here for all of us, for all of the times that we run from God, for all of the times that we insist on doing life our way instead of God's way. Guess what? We gain nothing as well. well look at verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their cloths and their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. By the way, this is the first example of fast food in all of human history right here. But if what I just read to you sounds at all familiar, it sounds familiar because everything that I have read is what we have previously seen is what God told Moses he would do starting in chapter 3 when he met them there at that burning bush. And that is the point of this passage. The point of all of this 
is that God indeed was faithful and he did do everything that he previously said he would do. For example, God had told Moses, after I strike Egypt, Pharaoh will command you to go. And that's exactly what happened. God said, they will know I am the Lord. Pharaoh said, go serve the Lord and bless me also. God said, you're not going to leave Egypt empty-handed. They left with silver and gold and fine clothing. The Bible says that they plundered the Egyptians. God said that all of Israel would go, the men, their families as well. The Bible says 600,000 men. That was just the men. They all left with their families from Egypt and including their livestock. Verse 37 says, a mixed multitude went with them this refers to those who were not Jews who accompanied them on the way out. We don't know how many they were. We don't know what percentage of the Egyptians this represented. It appears to me there were some, there were some who through all of this became convinced that the God of Israel is the Lord God and they said where Yahweh goes, we are going to follow. But all of this that we've read, it just seems so far-fetched when we read it a few months ago in chapter 3. And yet, God did it. God was faithful to do what He said He would do, and not only was He faithful to do it, but there's this emphasis in the text on the fact that God did it at exactly the time He intended to do it. Look at verse 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. I want you to notice there's an emphasis here on the text that not only did Israel leave Egypt after 430 years there, but they left Egypt on the very same day. On the very same day they departed. Now that statement tells us two things. It tells us that when God delivered them, He didn't do it slowly. It wasn't a process. He did it instantly. And likewise, when God delivers a man or a woman from slavery to sin and the devil in this world, it's not a process. He doesn't slowly bring us out. He doesn't slowly deliver us. He does it in an instant. This also tells us that even the day, the very day in which God brought them out of Egypt was preordained by the Lord? Think about what that means. That means that God knew all this time how long their bondage would be. God knew all this time how many tears would have to fall from their eyes. God knew all this time how many prayers they would have to pray and then, after all of that, when it was God's perfect timing, He did it. And when He did it, He did it not a day early and not a day late. Many years later, when King Solomon was dedicating the temple, and he looked back at this period of Israel's history, he made an amazing statement about God's faithfulness in this time. In 1 Kings 8.56, listen to this. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people Israel according to all that He promised 
There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Notice Solomon did not look back and say, God's done most of what he said he would do. Nor did he say, hey, God's done almost everything he said he would do. Not one word failed. That's what Solomon said. In other words, God is faithful. Part of us walking by faith is choosing to believe that and base our lives on that, remembering God's faithfulness even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense, and especially even when we don't feel it. This is why it's so important to look back in our lives and remember God's faithfulness. It's so important to give thanks. It's so important to look back and count our blessings because the more we remember God's faithfulness in the past, the more confident we're going to be to trust in God's faithfulness in the present and in the future. So remember God's faithfulness. Now, there's a second thing I want to encourage you to do from this passage. Trust God's guidance. Trust God's guidance. Now, in the rest of this chapter and in much of chapter 13, you have instructions about the annual Passover festivities, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that followed. But I want you to notice in chapter 13, verse 17, where the actual timeline, the story, picks up. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks and out of the land of Egypt. From the moment that Israel left Egypt, Canaan was the destination. They were bound for the promised land. But I want you to notice, the Bible says that God did not lead them through the land of the Philistines even though that was near. Now, I think this is one of those things that's easier to understand if you actually see it on a map, maybe in the back of your Bible. You've got a map of the Exodus route. But I want you to notice these two arrows. You have Egypt to the left. God's people have just left Egypt. They're heading to Canaan, which you can clearly see is northeast. That's the promised land. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which way they should go. It's pretty clear, it's pretty obvious that it is a straight shot if they go northeast. That path had a name. It was called the Way of the Sea. And if they would have gone northeast, it would have been about a two-weeks journey. That made sense. That was logical. That was the shortest way. But listen to me carefully. It was not the best way because it was not God's way. Instead of sending them northeast straight to the promised land, God sent them south 
through the Sinai Peninsula, through the wilderness, to the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, to Midian. God sent them on a very long detour. But listen, it was a divine detour. You wonder, why in the world would God do that? Why would God send them in that direction? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 17, God knew that if they went northeast, the Philistines would attack them. God knew that they were not ready for war. God knew that they would be defeated, and God knew that when they were defeated, they would get discouraged and God knew that they would crawl back to Egypt like a puppy with its tail tucked between its legs. You mean to tell me after all God did in Egypt, after all those miracles, after all those plagues, Israel would have gone back to Egypt? That's exactly what the Word of God says. And that is why God led them a different way. God knew that they needed to take the long way home. Now, someone might ask, Pastor, wait a second. Wasn't God able to defeat the Philistines for his people? Of course he was, but that's not the question. The question is not God's ability to defeat the Philistines. The question is the readiness of God's people to have faith and trust God for that victory. And at this moment, they were not ready. And furthermore, I would also add that if God had not sent them south instead of northeast, they would have never wound up in that position where they had the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. They would have never had that experience where they saw the Red Sea part and they walked across on dry land and Pharaoh's army was drowned behind them. They would have never had that Mount Sinai experience God sent them this way because he knew everything that would happen. He knew everything that was going to happen, and he knew what would result in his own glory. You know, sometimes in our lives, there's a path before us, and it seems so clear. It's just so obvious. It makes sense what should happen, what we should do. And there's this path in front of us, but for some reason, something gets in the way and we just cannot take it. We don't understand. Why do we have to take these detours in life? Let me tell you, God knows. God knows you. He knows everything that is happening around you. He knows everything that you are going through. God knows how you would respond to any given trial. God knows which test you would pass, and He knows which test you would fail, and God knows what you would do if you passed certain tests and what would happen if you failed other tests. God knows all of the things that you would do that you once swore you would never do. God takes all of that into account. He takes into account our strengths, our weaknesses, our experiences, 
our level of spiritual maturity. And God takes all of that into account because He knows how to guide His people. Do you know we see this even in nature? There's a bird, maybe you've heard of it, called the Arctic tern, which every single year will leave its home in the Arctic north, go south towards Antarctica, turn around, go all the way back 22,000 miles round trip, and it winds up exactly, I mean exactly where it started. How does it do it? No one knows. No one's figured it out. We've got theories, but nobody knows. You know there's a, a fish, the North Atlantic salmon, that will leave that place where it was spawned, and it'll swim out into the sea 900 miles, turn around, swim right back where it started. Again, we don't get it. We don't understand. Well, I tell you, God has something to do with that. And if God knows how to lead birds, if God knows how to lead fish, God knows how to lead you. Listen to me, graduates. God knows how to lead you and guide you. And I want you to notice how God guides Israel in verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. There was a road that led to this place called Etham, they took that road. It really was the only way to go. But when they came to the end of that path, the Bible says it was at the border of the wilderness. At that point, the road ended, and they had a decision to make. Which way do we go? And I think it's very interesting that the Bible says that it was at that moment, not before. It was at that moment when they needed it that God did something miraculous. He caused this special cloud to form. And the Bible says that it was, during the daytime, a cloud. But then at nighttime, something happened, and it was a pillar of fire. By the way, just like the plagues that we read about earlier, don't try to look for some kind of, of natural explanation because there's not one. This is not a dust storm. This is not a volcano. This is a supernatural act. We know that because the Bible says that it stayed with them day and night, and it stayed with them for 40 years. Nothing natural about this. What was it? This was God teaching his people how to follow in the most basic way possible. God gave them a cloud, gave them the fire. When God wanted them to move, the cloud moved. And they moved with it. Pretty simple. You know, sometimes we think, man, wouldn't it be great if God did something like that for us? Wouldn't it be great, those of you who are directionally challenged, you get lost, you don't know where to go, you forgot your phone, you don't have GPS, wouldn't it be great if all you had to do was just look up? And there's an arrow saying, 
that way. We would love that. You have a decision to make, a big decision. You don't know what to do. All you got to do is look up, and it's written, literally written, in the sky. What college should I go to? Anywhere but Florida State. Just kidding. should I marry whoever will have you? I mean, that would be awesome. We would love that. But listen, God is still willing to guide His people, and He is not any less willing to guide us than He was willing to guide them. You say, well, pastor, I don't have a cloud in the sky or fire to guide me. Ladies and gentlemen, We have something better, or excuse me, we have someone better. We don't have a cloud or fire above us. We have the Spirit of God within us. Jesus said the Spirit will guide you into all truth. So the question is not God's willingness to guide us, His willingness to speak. The question is our willingness to follow and our willingness to hear. But many times we don't hear God speak simply because we've already decided what we want God to say. Here's the question. Do you believe God knows what He's doing? Do you believe that God's detours are better than man's shortcuts? Do you believe God knows what is best for you? That He cares for you? Do you believe that God's way is best even when it doesn't make sense? If so, trust God's guidance and make that decision to follow wherever He leads. One more thing I want to share with you briefly in our passage that I want to encourage you to do. Stand on God's promises. Go back to verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Seems kind of strange that in the middle of the story about the Exodus, you have this little parenthesis, this little verse tucked away about the bones of Joseph. Really, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the Bible says that in all of the hurry and all of the commotion and all of the rush as the people of God were quickly leaving Egypt, the Bible says in spite of all that, Moses found the time, he made the time to take with him the bones of Joseph. You say, well, why did he do that? Why was that important? Well, if you go back to the book of Genesis... You will remember that this young Hebrew boy named Joseph, he was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And as a result, he spent years as a slave and later on as a prisoner, unjustly imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. But eventually, to make a long story short, God not only freed Joseph, he promoted him. 
He made him second in command in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And because Joseph was in authority, he was able to use that authority when a severe famine came along. And he used his authority to bring his family to Egypt so that they would not die of starvation, thus saving the people of God. But Joseph understood something. He understood that Egypt was not his home. He knew that Egypt was not home because God told Abraham in Genesis 15, your descendants will go to Egypt, they'll spend four centuries there, and they'll be oppressed, but then I will deliver them and they will come back to this land. That promise was repeated to Isaac and Jacob. He passed it on to his son Joseph. And so we get to the very end of Genesis. I don't know if you've ever thought about how strange this is. The first book of the Bible. When you get to the very end, the very last verses of this book, what is it? It's Joseph as an old man giving instructions to his children about what would happen to his bones how they were not to leave his bones in Egypt, but when that day came and God delivered them, they were to take his bones and carry them back to Canaan to be buried in the promised land. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Joseph did this by faith. Joseph knew that his children were not going to live that long. They wouldn't live long enough to carry out his instructions, but he knew that they would pass along these instructions to their children and them to their children and so on. And then centuries later, we get to Exodus 13. The Bible says that Moses took the bones of Joseph, what would have been the mummified remains of Joseph. And in Acts chapter 7, it says it wasn't only Joseph, but it was Jacob as well. So can you imagine what it must have been like all that time Four decades, the tribes of Israel taking turns, carrying the bones, the remains of these heroes of the faith. And every time they looked up and saw whatever it was that contained the bones of Jacob or Joseph, they looked up and they were reminded of the promises of God. That sent a message. It said something to them. It said, we're going somewhere we're going somewhere and this isn't it we're not meant to be wilderness wanderers we have a destiny and our destiny is the land God promised us a land flowing with milk and honey well just like the Israelites in the wilderness. God has given us some promises as well. Just like the Israelites, we have a home and this world is not it. God did not make us or save us to simply wander through life. We also have a destiny and our destiny is our promised land, a place called heaven. And just like the Israelites, we too have been given a symbol. We too have been given something 
physical, something tangible, in order to remind us of all of these promises. But listen to this. What God has given to us, what we have, is not a mummy. It's not a dead body. What God's given to us, it's not somebody's bones. God's given us an empty tomb. It is the empty tomb, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that reminds us that all of God's promises are good and faithful and we can rely on them, we can trust in them. Chief among them, God's promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So claim that promise. Claim these promises. Base your life upon them and place your hope in Christ who died and rose again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that spiritual freedom that we have in Christ, that he came from heaven to earth and died on the cross for us, for our sins, was buried and rose again. He paid the price we could never pay and won the victory we could never win, did all of that in our place, so that by placing our faith in Him, we could be saved. And so, Father, I pray for anyone, young or old, man, woman, boy, or girl, who's here today, who needs to take that step and perhaps call upon the name of the Lord for the very first time. If there's anybody who needs to recognize their spiritual condition, that spiritually, the Bible teaches, we are in a condition of slavery, but recognizing their condition, if there's anybody here that would just cry out for mercy and place their faith in Christ, oh, I pray, God, knock on the door of their heart that this would be for them that day of salvation, that day of surrender, that they would say, God, here I am. All that I am, all that I have is yours, and I confess Jesus as Lord of my life today. Father, I pray you'd help all of us to take what we've read, what we've learned, and apply it to our lives, that we would constantly remind ourselves of your faithfulness in the past, that we would trust you to guide us, even when there are detours, even when it doesn't make sense, but in those moments especially, God, that we would keep going back to the promises of your word and basing our lives upon them, not what the world says, not how we feel, but that we would base our lives on the promises of God. Help us, Lord, to take that and to apply it to our lives this day and every day. And we pray all this in the name, above all names, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.